Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome everyone to the podcast. We have a guest today who is originally from England, but he is living in China for the last six years. He also manages the ultimate Amazon seller hub, the FBA for you. We have with us today, Chris Davey. How's it going, Chris? It's going very good. It's going very good. So, How about you? Very good. Very good. Nice. We have a, a huge time difference here between us, right? We're talking about 12 hours difference. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning here and 10 o'clock in the yeah. evening over where you are. So, Exactly. Very nice. So tell me, why or what made you move to China? Okay. So... Um, I actually, I actually worked for the same company for a long, long time, more than 20 years. And I literally started that job when I left school. Um, so I, I only had, in my life, I only had like, only worked for one company, but I had multiple jobs there. So I actually started working in the production line as a temporary job before I went off to college. But in the end, I never went to college. Well, I did actually, but it was a long, long time later. Um, and I did various jobs there and basically worked my way up through doing um, like production and inventory management and warehousing and running the warehouse and then like running an offsite warehouse. And then eventually in like 1998, I moved into sourcing. So um, I was working in the sourcing department in the UK in this company and we had about um, 20 staff in this, in this department. But back in 2006, well, we, we basically built a factory in China and gradually our office, well, our department in the UK was kind of getting smaller and smaller because more and more of our work was being moved out to, to Asia. I wouldn't say it was being moved to China, but it was being moved to Asia. Yeah. And basically we, we bought on board a sourcing agent. So uh, that, that sourcing agent was in Taiwan and we were dealing with them through like 2006 uh, onwards. And then in 2011, I told my boss, oh, I'm getting a divorce. Now, my, my, I met my wife at the same company. So my boss knew my wife. So this is mm. like, and he was a good friend of both of us. And just happened to tell him I'm getting a divorce. And like two days later, one of the directors kind of like hinted like, oh, it'd be really, really good if you could move to China. And um, he just like said this and like walked off. And then I kind of sat on my desk thinking about it and I thought, actually, that I'd quite like to do that, actually. Yeah. So I, I dropped him an email and said, hey, were you serious or were you joking? And he said, no, no, I was deadly serious. He's like, let's have a talk about it the next time I'm, I'm down in the, in the office. Anyway, like six months passed, he doesn't mention it again. You know? mm. And then all of a sudden, like, we wanted to go to China, like when? As soon as possible. We've got like, lots of problems out there. We want you to go out there and fix all these problems. So I ended up like, it was about nine months after we first mentioned it, I ended up going out to China and basically we had our own factory out there and, and the idea was I was going out there to sort a lot of the problems out, go through all the suppliers um, and also set up a sourcing team. And I was supposed to go there for like a year um so i built we had a couple of people in the team when i arrived but i basically built this team up to 16 people in a year and basically i visited about 200 of our suppliers doing the pareto 80 20 rule you know looking at 
who we spent the most money with starting there first, you know, so. Wow. So Chris, you said then you started sourcing in 1998 and how different was that? And is that the same sourcing that we do now, like for private label? Is it done the same way or was it a completely different kind of sourcing? We had three factories. So, uh, in fact, back then we didn't have three factories. Back then we had a factory in uh, the UK only, I think. We had two factories in the UK, actually. Um, so, it was very different. You know, I remember when I started in sourcing, uh, I, was, I was actually moved to that department and I was given all the Far East suppliers to deal with. And, you know, I was contacting them via email and I was like the only person in our company about there was about two people that had an email account you know and it was like dial up you know I, yeah. every every monday i'd come in and i'd sit there and go and i'd sit there for about 20 minutes to see if they replied to the email i'd sent them like the week before you know so yeah. uh things have really changed a lot in that period of time um so we had a factories or we had factories and we were basically building products so everything we were buying was parts we assembled lots and lots of stuff in-house. We At that time, we just made speakers. Um, it's quite a famous English brand. And then we went on to making headphones and other things. And, and back when I started at that company, they only had like 30 staff. When I left, they had 1,100 staff. So wow. it was a big, big change. Wow. <laughs> it grew a lot while I was there, yeah. <laughs> so. um, do you know what kind of volume they were doing there about, with 1,100 people? uh our sales our sales were about 500 million us so nice nice so yeah 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 that's pretty good that's a decent pocket change eh? <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we it, it, actually we were owned by a canadian guy actually interestingly we were english company and then we were sold to a canadian guy uh it's like one of them strange stories this guy was a like liquidator and he went into our US. So we were the factory and our US uh, authorized distributor basically got into financial trouble. He went in there, he ended up buying that US distributor, turning it around so it become our most profitable distributor and then buying the manufacturing company. If it is the, um, the liquidator himself, because uh, there, there's a big uh, Canadian guy that uh, he's actually calls himself the liquidator. There's even a TV show about him. No, this, this guy, he's like, he's he's not so out there, but he's doing very well. I mean, he has like private jet. Um, he, he owns a lot of things. He actually sold the company to a Silicon Valley startup just after I left. So um, according to all my colleagues, I got out just at the right time. So... <laughs> Nice. So, how did you uh, did you you ended up leaving that company now, and you you work for yourself with uh, FBA for you? Yeah, kind of. FBA for you is more of like a hobby. I'll explain a little bit about that in a minute. Um, so, so basically, um, I, I started selling on eBay from I think like nineteen ninety nine or something like that, and I was doing Amazon in the UK from two thousand and seven, um, but. The real bad thing about that is, is that back then there was no FBA and like Amazon in the UK, I was just using to sell the stuff that wouldn't sell on 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 eBay. Yeah. Um, back then, it really, really Amazon really wasn't great. You know, I was maybe selling some computer games and some DVDs on on Amazon back then that kind of moved. Um, 
Uh, but I was doing quite well. I, I used to go to, uh, I don't know what you call them in Canada or America, but it's basically like we call them car boot sales in England. So it's basically a farmer like rents out his field and basically like a few hundred people will turn up with their cars to sell all their old, you know, all their old garbage basically. Yeah. Most wow. of it. Yeah. And I used to go to them and I used to like pick things. and I got very good at like buying stuff and selling it. And so I used to do that the weekends as a hobby. Um, but then when I moved to China, I was just like, basically it was actually, I got a divorce and then I moved to a small flat and then I kind of like got sidetracked into other things like finding a new girlfriend or a new wife, whatever. And I kind of stopped doing that and then moved to China and I had like no idea, like how does this postal system work? You know, I saw some things here in the market. I was like, mm, I might be able to sell this. I don't know. You know, it's like, so I came out to China and for like three years straight, I was just like super busy. Um, in fact, for the first two years, just like really crazy busy. I didn't even have time to think about it. And then in the last year, suddenly I was like, I seemed to have a lot of time on my hands. I felt like my company were like planning to send me back to the UK or like make me redundant or something like this. Yeah. And they were taking more and more things away from me. They brought in a Chinese guy at the same level as me. And they were basically asking me, like, train this Chinese guy everything you do. And he was, like, writing everything down in books, everything I was telling him, you know. And um, and I found myself, like, sitting at my desk and a little bit bored, actually. And and so I started to listen to podcasts. Um, and that was back in 2014. And, well, first of all, I was listening to music. Um, in the office, obviously, everyone was Chinese. So I really miss the thing that you have in, like, when you work in an office in Europe where you can hear all the conversations that are going on mm -hmm. around you and you can go, oh, I can help with that. You know, you've got a problem with something? Yeah, I know the answer, yeah. In China, everyone's talking in Chinese. My Chinese is not that great. And, you know, I don't know what's going on. I have to wait for someone to come for, to me and ask for help. I can't just go, oh, wait there. You know, I can help with that. So... Mm -hmm. And we also manufactured headphones. So it's quite often in our office that we had headphones and they wanted us to like do uh, comfort trials, you know? So we could get like 50 of the new headphones that are coming out and like everyone will be seeing with the same headphones on. And then like you need to like write a little report to say, you know, what whether they hurt your ears, slipped off your head, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So I started listening to these podcasts. Nothing about Amazon back then that, that I remember. I was listening to... John Lee Dumas, I think, like Entrepreneur on Fire and stuff like that, yeah. And just, I just remember distinctly, it was like one lunchtime, I went out for a walk and I was listening to one of these entrepreneur podcasts and this guy said that he was selling on Amazon and he was explaining FBA and I was like, oh, I used to sell on Amazon. They didn't have this FBA when I was selling. I, you know, I vaguely remembered doing some looking at it when it first came out. And um, this guy's in Belgium and he's basically saying, yeah, he'd never been to China. He'd never been to America. Mm. Um, he was saying like he buys all the stuff from China and he sends it to Amazon in America and they sell it for him. And he was earning $30,000 a month. And I'm like, wow, I'm sitting here at my desk in China. Like my background's all sourcing. Um, you know, I really need to be like looking at this again. So I started to like try and find more info. There was no podcast. In fact, the, I remember the Amazing Seller, uh, Scott Volker podcast, like mm -hmm. coming out. And I think like about episode, 
I, I listened to it from the beginning, from number one. And I think like one of the episodes very early on, he was talking about Canton Fair. And I sent him an email saying like, you know, a lot of the stuff the person said about Canton Fair is wrong. I've been like many times. I'd love to come on the show. In fact, no, I didn't tell him I'd love to come on the show, but I just sent him like a lot of information. And then he asked me to come on. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can come on because like I was worried that one of my work colleagues might hear me on there. Yeah. And I might get into trouble for it. So I kind of didn't do it. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. funny story was that uh, I started, I started by selling on eBay as well. And uh, it was, my account was uh, from 1997 and I was in Europe as well. Just like you just, I was in Portugal. And Portugal didn't have eBay. So the closest one was the UK. And then a few years later, eBay opened in Spain as well. But I started selling in eBay.com. Uh, so I was selling in the USA. And uh, yeah, it was the same thing. Super complicated, completely different. And yeah, a few years later, uh, I heard some people also in podcasts that they were selling on Amazon. I'm like, what? And I already had all my products. That were technically they were not private label because I didn't even know the term private label, but they were products that I was sourcing from China and I was putting my logo on, right? So it was kind of like the same thing, just without the fancy terms. Yeah. And then I just started transferring my products to Amazon FBA that I already had. And uh, yeah, here we are now, a few years later. Yeah. When I was doing eBay, actually. My life was a lot more hassle. I was not selling the same item twice, pretty much, yeah, because I was buying things and then selling them, yeah. So it was a it was a big problem. In fact, I touched upon doing like the private label stuff, and I don't know why I never really got into it. I remember I like I wanted a camera, I wanted a battery for my camera, and I went to the internet and I like ordered one from China, and I was like, oh, it's like two dollars. It's like you know, it was like thirty dollars or forty dollars even in the shop in the in the UK. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll order 10 and sell the balance on eBay. And I did that and they sold out. And then I never ordered any more. Why didn't I, why didn't I order any more? I need to give myself a slap. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. It was probably a so. Nokia too back then, was it? Uh, no, it was, for a, it was for a camera. I don't, I don't hmm. remember what, what camera it was. Uh, I think it was a Samsung or something like that. I don't know. So, But I remember I bought it from Deals Extreme. If you know this website, it's a Chinese website. It was like the, no. before Alibaba. So, um, so anyway, like fast forward 2015, start developing my own product. So basically, my my role at the company meant that I got involved with lots of people, like engineers, quality people, you know, designers. I was dealing with like some of the top design houses in London. And basically they were designing things and what my job had like transitioned to was they were designing stuff. I was going to the factory discussing like their designs and talking with the manufacturer, like how can we make it look like the designer wants, but cheaper? Because the thing with designers was they just designed everything like crazy expensive, you know? So I'm going to the factory and I'm trying to get it. So this part, you know, works for the factory, works for all their machines, looks just like the designer wants, but can be made as cheaply as possible. Um, and because of this, 
I kind of, my, my first thought was not to do private label. My first thought was to like, oh, I'll design my own product, you know? Yeah. So uh, I started looking at Amazon and I just came up with this idea for a product. And it was basically like, there was a few products on there already. It wasn't so oversaturated. There was maybe like 10 products. They were all from China. They all sold for around $11. And I was looking, it was an accessory for a speaker product because speakers were like my background, yeah? So, and they were selling for like ten, eleven dollars, and I was looking. The speaker was like two hundred dollars, and I was thinking, I think this market can take a higher price than this. You know, ten. If I was looking and I saw ten dollars, I almost think, well, oh, that can't be much good. You know, it's like my my product costs two hundred dollars, the accessory costs ten dollars. Seems too cheap. So I'm like, I'm going to make a twenty five dollar version. I had no idea whether this was going to work or not, um, but basically. I looked at all their reviews, like everyone says, and like looked at all the negative reviews and basically went through, designed my own version of their product. And one key thing I did differently was they only made the product in one color. I bought out like five different colors, um, which looked great on the photo because I had like this really eye-catching image that really stood out on the page. And then you scroll down, it's all black, and suddenly there's this one with five different colors. And so I got them made and I had a lot of hassle getting them made. And I had a, one Chinese friend like help me deal with the factory because I, I was still working at my company back then. I didn't want anyone to be involved from my company. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a lot of problems. I ordered a thousand. We ended up with like 500 pieces. We had a lot of rejects with a lot of issues. So I, like, ha- I went to the factory, I hand inspected all 1000 pieces by hand, four days at the factory. Um, because I just wanted them to be perfect, you know. I didn't want to start off with negative reviews. And um, back then, actually, it was a little bit of me. So, so the sample arrived with my friend, and I got it, and I was like, oh, it's great. I said, so we're yeah. going to be millionaires. Hmm. And then she's Chinese. She returned back to me and said, everyone thinks their baby is the most beautiful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so basically, she put me back in my place. But this product hit Amazon. And it was around the uh, beginning of December. And I put it at $11.99 because I was like, you know, I wanted to get some sales. Nothing happened. It was like silence, you know. It was on like page 17 or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't even in the right, you know, it was mixed in with loads of stuff that weren't anything even to do with it. And then I put the price up to like $17.99 and I got a sale. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And then that, that one sale moved me from like page 17 to page like three or something like that. And then the next day I got a couple more sales and then I was on page one and I actually started to put the price up and I ended up at like twenty four ninety nine. And once I got to twenty four ninety nine, I got up to like 30 sales a day within a couple of weeks. And at that time I couldn't even get the PPC to work because like Amazon was saying, oh, you're not relevant to what you want to advertise on. So like the PPC wasn't even working and I was up to like 30 a day. And at this point I realized, oh, I haven't ordered enough. (laughs) (laughs) So three weeks in, $11,000 better off, like 50% profit margin, out of stock. (laughs) Wow. So, um, and from there basically, I just gone on and developed more and more my own products. So, just design more and more things and like 
I've gone into a couple of different niches. So like one niche is the audio niche still and another niche is in toys. And I kind of just stumbled across stuff. Um, I'm pretty good at finding finding little gaps in the market where nobody's selling stuff. I just had one product that launched back in November. And literally, I mean, this is a a good tip, yeah. Um, I had an idea for a product. I went to Amazon. There was nothing on there. And I typed in what I thought the keyword should be. And Amazon, like, prompted you to say, yeah, 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 this is what what you're looking for. But when you clicked on it, nothing come up it was like you know it was showing product other products but it weren't necessarily the same as what you wanted so that kind of told me that people have been coming to amazon searching for this but it's not on amazon so i launched that product on amazon and like i bought um like two thousand pieces and literally i sold out in less than a month um and then I started getting emails through my website from people saying, oh, like my friend showed me this product and I really want to buy it, but I'm going to Amazon's not in stock. I'm like, yeah, okay, calm down. It's, it's going to be back in stock soon. The next delivery, I flew in, again, like two or three weeks out of stock. Um, and also the other strange thing about this product is this, it's a product people seem to just love to write reviews about. Um, oh, really? Without even asking. Without even asking people writing reviews this long, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's, yeah, like it's, uh, it's unusual. And yeah. was this a um, product that this already existed, this product, or did you have to go to your way to get molds and get it made or something like that? Actually, this pro, I mean, I do make a lot of molds and stuff like that. I mean, we have one product at the moment that's got like extrusion tooling, metal tooling, plastic tooling. Um, I do make a lot of things that are much more complicated and I kind of like doing that because I think that, you know, puts a lot of people off like coming in and copying you. It's not going to get copied too easy. But this product actually is really easy to make. There was no forward investment at all. Um, the product cost like $3 and we're selling it for $20. <laughs> um, yeah, so in fact, it costs a little bit less than $3 actually. But um, So that's really good. and. I mean, some other some other tips is I use like other other sources also to uh, rather we spoke a little bit off air at the beginning about software and like I have got Jungle Scout and I do use it very occasionally, but I don't really use it to find products. I use it more to like back up my assumptions. So mm. and other things I use are like Etsy, Pinterest, Instagram. Because sometimes you can come up with an idea and find there's nothing on Amazon, but somebody somewhere has also come up with that idea before you, yeah? And maybe selling it through another platform, uh, especially Etsy, I've found a lot where I've come up with ideas and I'm like, yeah, this is a great idea. And then I've gone to Amazon, nothing on there, gone to Etsy, someone who on there has come up with something similar and sold like 500, got like 500 reviews. I'm like, okay, if it's selling. It's got 500 reviews on Etsy. That means, you know, it must be selling a lot. So, yeah. yeah so I use other other sites to help me. Uh, so I always wondered if if somebody that's selling on Amazon and living in China, like your case, Chris, if you actually walk into factories instead of, you know, like you said, instead of sitting in front of the computer and start sourcing with Jungle Scout or Helium 10 or whatever, do you actually walk into the factory and just start picking? 
Um, not very often, actually. Um, but for sure, you can do that. I've got friends who are like super successful, more successful than me, especially back like a few years ago, you know, back in 2014, 15, you know, it was so easy back then. It's got a lot more difficult now, you know, no matter what you, it seems like almost no matter what you look at, yeah, there's already like a hundred people selling it. I mean, yeah. The other day I remember we were looking at castration pliers. Yeah. I was like, that must be a niche product. Yeah. Go to Amazon. There's like 200 people selling them. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's ridiculous. No way. No way. <laughs> Uh, really, really, you ch- you check it, yeah. You'll be amazed. It's oversaturated that already, yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I do when I go to factories is I like to know all of their processes and their capabilities. And you know, I go into factories sometimes for one thing and come out with ideas for other things that I can make there um, yeah. because I see them making other things and I'm like, okay, they've got this capability and they seem like they're really good at it, and maybe we should like make something that uses that strength that I can see this factory's got. Um, but that, that's kind of like my background is to do that. You know, I, before I'm going into factories that Apple are using and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm just like, I, I love to look around factories. I love to understand all the processes. I love to ask a lot of questions. Um, and they remember you if you do that as well more. Um, so if you want to design your own stuff, it's great later you can say oh i want to design this but like you know how thick should this be what materials good do you think to make this part out of and stuff like that and they can give you some input that's what i what i imagine that you can get some really good ideas depending if you know what the capabilities are of that factory what they can do and what they can't do so that would give you some really good ideas there yeah yeah exactly there's a lot of exhibitions actually exhibition season just starting um, I don't know if you know, but there's a, there's the season starts on the 11th of April and the 11th of October, um, pretty much. Uh, there's actually there's a couple of shows before that, but the main ones start then and run through right right and through the first week of May or the first week of November. It's like every six months, and there's about 15 different exhibitions that pretty much run back to back. Some of them overlap a bit, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. Did you have something once set up? I thought I saw that on your site. Like for like, almost like a meetup at, at that time of the event. Yeah, exactly. Back in back in uh, when I arrived in China in 2012, so I used to go to Canton Fair for my for my job. You know, I'd go there looking for new suppliers. Um, so I've been going to Canton Fair since I arrived, and obviously, Canton, if you don't know, uh, if your audience don't know, Canton Fair is the world's biggest commodity exhibition, and it's absolutely huge. Um, Every time I leave Canton Fair, I, I, like after a few days there, I leave with injuries. My back's hurting, my legs, the muscles in my leg have all swollen up or something like that. Yeah. So um, it's huge. But because of that, back in 2015, I was like, right, I really want to get back into this Amazon game. I'm like, there must be some people coming to Canton Fair who are doing Amazon. So I'm like, I'm just going to throw out on some of the the – Facebook groups for Amazon sellers. Who's coming to Canton Fair? Let's meet up and have a beer. And basically, I did that. And to the first event, two guys turn up. Mm-hmm. It's just me and two other guys. And I'm like, hey, you know, like you selling on Amazon? And they're like, both of them are like, no, I'm not selling on Amazon. How about you? And I'm like, no, I'm not selling on Amazon either. <laughs> we were basically like all wannabe Amazon sellers. Yeah. And 
And then I, I did three events because it's like phase one, phase two, phase three, Canton Fair. And the next one, there was like four people turned up. And one of them, again, he wasn't selling on Amazon, but he turned up and he was like, hey, I'm looking at this Amazon stuff. And he's like, if, I, if I'm not making a million dollars next year, he said, I'm going to be like really pissed off. And I'm like, mm, I'm, you know, I think this guy's got like huge expectations, million dollars. That sounds like crazy at that time, you know? And then there was two other people that turned up and basically these were like uh, on some sort of training course, come out from England to Canton Fair and they were just kind of starting out on, on Amazon. And actually they, they run um, something called Scale for Retail in the UK. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a big meetup networking events in the uk they run that now yeah and they they came to my event first um but i persevered and i carried on running this event time after time after time and basically now we get like about 500 people over the over the two days that we run it on um, really yeah so it's become to be like oh i want to meet some other like amazon people that i can learn from i mean still that's what it is tell the truth i still do it I, a lot of my friends always like telling me off like, Oh, you should be making money from this. Should be that it should be this. Yeah. Like we get some sponsors, the sponsors pay for like us, like stuff that we need photographers or whatever. And like, I don't really make any money from it. I don't really care whether I make any money from it because I meet so many cool people there. Yeah? Um, and I carried on running it and we're like in our fourth or fifth year now. So I think we're on, our, I think our, this one we're just doing, we're going to do in April, or May, um, it's like our 20th, 19th and 20th time we've done it. So, and we've actually got some really cool sponsors. Actually, we've got um, Global Sources, which is the uh, which is the big exhibition provider in Hong Kong. They're one of mm -hmm. our sponsors. And we just got Amazing.com, which I'm sure everyone knows ASM. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, it, it, really, it really has um, grown. But like I say, uh, a lot of people, I've seen some people write, write like comments like, oh, why well, have I got to put so much information in to sign up for a ticket for this free event? Someone commented, commented the other day and I'm like, because all that information you give me is the thing that I can use to attract the sponsors that can keep the event running. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> if I don't know anything about the people that are coming, yeah, then no, no sponsors are going to sponsor it. Yeah, so. Yeah, and it's a, a free ticket. Well, type a couple of words. <laughs> Exactly, you know, like we just ask some basic details, but we like give them like an opt out as well. Whatever you question, it's like, oh, what's your turnover? You can answer, I don't want to tell you. Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to tell us. It's just like, it's just like later, if I've got like, you know, uh, a logistics company or something coming, I can, they, they'll ask me questions like, oh, you know, we only specialize in people from America. How many people are coming from America? I can say, oh, like, 54% of our people are from America, you know, so, but that's kind of also where FBA from you come from. I don't know if you know, um, another guy called Danny McMillan. Yeah. He, he does a, yeah, he does another podcast and, uh, stuff in London. And basically Danny was coming to Hong Kong and he's a good friend of mine. And he was like, let's do an event together in Hong Kong. And I said, uh, yeah, okay, then let's do it. And he's like, what's, what's your, what's your like, name of your company for the events and i'm like canton fair seller meetup and he's like mm, well, we can't really call it canton fair seller meetup if it's in hong kong you need to come up with a brand so that's how fba for you came about 
And basically, then people were saying, oh, I went to your website and there's like nothing on your website. Yeah, it's like your website doesn't exist. So then we had to create a website as well. And it's basically Danny's fault. Yeah. <laughs> which which brings up a really good point. I checked out your, your website, which is FBA4U.com. And for those of you listening, it's FBA and then the number four and the letter U. And your website is so complete. I mean, you have all the websites of where you can source from, the ones that, uh, I mean, that everybody is aware of and some that a lot of people have never dealt with uh, as well. You have the marketplaces, the tools. You know, I, I've seen you have like an HTML editor where people can, can create their listings kind of. Uh, it, it's really, really great. And you're saying, so that's Danny. Danny's idea, right? Well, it was Danny that drove me to get the name. Actually, the, the design for the website came about through, um, I actually played the Chinese their own game. The Chinese actually have a website that looks very similar to ours that I knew about. And I actually told my web, web developer, let's copy this Chinese website. <laughs> <laughs> and then I added my own touch to it by adding things like, oh, the favorite podcasts I listen to, favorite YouTube channels, all the exhibitions that I could find, all the conferences that I could find. Try to make it like an authority on like where you can go and find good information, really. So, Yes, very good. And before the record, I do I listen to to Danny's podcast. I'm also subscribed to his email list, so every time a new episode comes out, I listen in the seller sessions. Danny's a good friend of mine, so I went to one of his meetups in London back in December 2015. So it was about I think it was about 12 people there. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. So tell me something, Chris. What kind of issues do you have? Of course, there's lots of advantages from being in China, sourcing directly from China. You probably get better price and all that stuff. Now, when it comes to selling on Amazon.com, is there certain things that you need to do? Do you need to get uh, VPMs or do I need to get VPMs if I go there to visit you? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff in China is blocked. And to be truthful, even if it's not blocked, it will take a long time to open because, you know, like Facebook, Google Drive, Gmail, Instagram, Pinterest, all these things are blocked, yeah? And, and you can only access them with like using a VPN or something like that. But even the websites that aren't blocked, like for instance, my banking, yeah? Website's not blocked. But they use like Google fonts and they've got like buttons for Facebook and things like this. Yeah. And all of these buttons basically are blocked. So what happens is it causes the website like to take a long time to open because every single one of these links that links to any sort of social media takes a long time before it times out and then the website eventually opens. So like for me, I just use the VPN like 24-7. Um and the one I've got is actually working really well. Um, I'm actually even able to stream television uh, here on my on my TV from the UK, no problem. So it becomes occasionally it becomes problematic. But um, the any other thing, I mean, there's obviously when you when you live in China, I get opportunities every day. You know, I go to factories and they're like, "Oh, you're a foreigner, you can help us sell stuff." Yeah, like mm -hmm. we'll give you commission. 
And then I end up like getting sidetracked into little other things that I was like, and it, it turns out it's a bit like my networking event to tell the truth. The networking event is still a hobby. Amazon is the business. Yeah. And the networking event like distracts me and all these other things distract me. I go places, I see things, I hear things. People are always like asking me like, oh, let's do a course together. Let's do, let's start our own podcast. Now, over the, over the last four years, you know, all these different things, uh, you know, I have one friend um, who organizes a lot of events. He's like, we should organize an event together. And I'm like, yeah, I totally agree. But the amount of money we're going to make from an event compared to what I can make on Amazon is small. And the amount of time it's going to take me is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just going to take my eye off the ball. Yeah, the risk as well. I mean, I think we can do a really great event. Like my, my friends ask me quite a few times and I have to keep turning them down. I have to be like, I have to stay focused on the Amazon business. So um, I've had periods of time where I've kind of gone off and done other things and then I've regretted it later. You know, my sales have either gone down or they're like stable because I've take, uh, taken my eye off the ball, you know? So, yeah. Nice. So um, Chris, before we go here, we got to bring up FBA for you. What exactly does it do? So all, all FBA for you is, is about our networking event. Our networking events at Canton Fair, every six months, phase two, phase three. You can find it on our website, fbaforyou.com. And it's actually, it's on the 25th of April and the 2nd of May. I'm not quite sure when this podcast will go out. And the next one will be the 25th of October and the 1st of November. Um, and that that's all it's about and like I say it's a totally free event everyone really enjoys it um, I'm very strict with the sponsors so I'm like oh no presentations no this no that I don't want anyone's night to be ruined by like heavy hard selling from anyone we've got sponsors there often um, but I try to pick sponsors that I think are useful for people like freight forward companies um, like we had a really great freight forwarding company there I think like the last time or the time before they specialize in sending single packet, which is quite hard to find. So like if you're doing like drop shipping from AliExpress or something like that, yeah, these guys can like take your packet and send it to your customers and they deal with 500,000 packets a day. Really? So, um, so just, re- just to get back on to that, are you saying that they would use my package to ship a drop shipping product? Yeah, uh, basically what what they what they do. I mean, mainly they're dealing with Chinese suppliers, but like you know, Chinese suppliers. Maybe let's say they sell through Shopify and they're selling phone cases, and every day they sell like two hundred phone cases. What they do is they send these two hundred phone cases, uh, like packed up in boxes uh, with like the shipping label, along to this freight forwarder, and then this freight forwarder takes the information they've got and basically scans the QR code. In China, we love QR codes. So scan the QR code and then their system, like let's say it's going to the UK, they actually print out the UK uh, mail slip, yeah? And then they, they can post it to about 80 different countries, I think. Um, so it's like piece by piece they can post it, yeah? And I went to their facility. It's very interesting. They're very bad at marketing, but they're <laughs> yeah. They were at my event, yeah, and they're like, they turn up to my event and they, they – they tell nobody what they do. And I'm like, start questioning them. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're the third biggest in China. We like ship 500,000 parcels a day. We've got 800 staff. We're looking at buying our own planes. I'm like, where is all this on your marketing? Yeah, there's nothing about it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so, that's incredible. So I remember you said you wanted to talk about product disaster. You still want to talk about that? Yes. Tell me your your worst nightmare story. Okay. Okay. So so back in 2014, when I'm sitting at my desk, I came up with this idea. Um, obviously, I was in the speaker industry, and I, I was doing a lot of research. And this was like one of the first products I came up with. And basically, I was looking at the Amazon Echo, and there was a lot of people saying this Amazon Echo fell over like really easily. You know, my cat's tail just touched it and it fell over. It's like unstable. So I was like, I really should like make a stand or something to support device for this Amazon Echo. So I kind of thought this and I sketched out something and, and I didn't do anything about it. I checked Amazon. There was nothing on there for this like stand or case or anything like this. Yeah. So and I, maybe like one year passed and my computer was like complaining to me, out of space, out of space. And I'm like going through like deleting things. I'm like, oh, what's this? And I opened it. It was like, oh, it's that, it's that stand I've designed, yeah? And so then I'm like, oh, I'll just check on Amazon. And I see like there was like five or six people selling these and the top guy was doing like $50,000 a month. <laughs> so, so my first disaster is I thought of this like one year before and it didn't do anything. Basically, the reason was is because it was my first idea and there wasn't anything on Amazon to like justify it that it would sell. Yeah. So then I was like, I need to make this product. So I'm like, call up my friend who's like helping me do the sourcing. And I'm like, I want to make this product. So sent him the designs and then we, we 3D printed some. Uh, we got a, we've improved the design. We 3D printed it. It wasn't quite right. We 3D printed it again and then like again and again and again. And maybe another couple of months passed while we like finalized the design. And then basically we we placed the tool in and we started work on the product. And then there was a typhoon and a factory that we chose, basically their roof fell in. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Just before they started production, yeah. And so basically my tool was like trapped in their building somewhere under all this rubble, yeah, because basically their oh. factory had collapsed. Anyway, so like another couple of months passed while we got this tool out and then we needed to do a rework on it. And eventually, maybe about nine months after I said to my friend, we've got to make this product. Eventually, it was done. We had the product. So this is like about, you know, like nearly 20 months after I first thought of the idea. Yeah. So I made 5,000 pieces. Products were like $4 each and I made like 20,000 pieces. The tooling was like, around $5,000, I think. So it was like I invested about $25,000 in this product. And this was like for the first order. And what I did was I was like checking the US. And by the time this nine months had passed, I hadn't really been watching. By the time this nine months had passed, everyone had been looking at this and going, oh, this is a good product. I should make this. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I sent out more than three quarters of the stock to the US. And then I'm like, oh, I'll try a little bit in the UK. So I think I sent 400 to the US and like 3,600 to the, uh, sorry, 3,600 to the US, 400 to the UK. So it arrives in the US and it's on page 17 or something like that, yeah. And it just took forever. It was not selling. It was like selling maybe one a day. 
and it was just like so slow and i had like 3400 at this time i used to send all my stock to amazon which i don't do anymore um so i had like 3400 there the ones i sent to the uk were selling like crazy like 30 a day so and they were selling really well in the uk and germany and so then what happened was it's like oh you know, my stock's going to run out really fast. And now all my stock's in the US. It's selling really slowly. And all the stock I sent to the UK is about to run out. So I had to run another order just to go to Europe. So I run like another, I can't remember, like three or 4,000 pieces and sent into the UK for a while, selling really good. And then all of a sudden, my PPC stopped working. Like, oh, this is strange, yeah? And like, why is the PPC stop working? So I like raise a... I raised a case with Amazon and then Amazon had come back and they were like, oh, some problem or the other, it was fixed. So I was running again and my sales went back to normal and then it stopped working again, like two weeks later. And then I sent them another message and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, this is an Amazon-related product. You're not allowed to advertise it. What? Yeah, right. So I was like, oh, shit, I don't know this rule. Yeah, and they sent me like a link to some page, you know, like they do where it adds something about this, you know, something in their terms of service. So our sales like dropped right down, but it was still selling quite well. And by this time, it got a lot of good, like, lot of good reviews. It had like about 100 reviews in Europe. And in the US, it started to sell. It got to page one eventually, taking a few months to get there. And it was selling, but like, nowhere near as good as i hoped it would sell because it was just like it'd become oversaturated and then i was going through like setting up one of these uh dashboard softwares that records your revenue uh back then it was actually cash cow pro yeah uh, i don't use that one anymore but so i was like trying to put all the costs in and i put all the costs in and like running the report and then i was like huh? everyone i sell this is telling me i lose like four pounds that can't be right so I then went off and had a look, and basically what I found is Amazon products have a 45% referral fee. Really? Now, I never knew this, and for the first maybe nine months or a year, Amazon didn't charge me it. But when I've been raising all these cases about the PPC, they changed the browse node to something Kindle accessories or something like that, yeah? And basically, yeah, my costs had gone through the roof. And I had like all this stock. I had like a big order. It was coming up a Q4. Um, so I, it was October. I just placed like a really big order with my factory. It was just about ready to ship. Um, and basically, I found, oh, like everyone I'm losing money on. And I was selling this product for like, I don't know, 20 or $25, which was like already pretty expensive. And basically, I was still losing like $4. And then just to top it all off, Amazon then changed the Amazon Echo and my product didn't fit on it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I put the final nail in the coffin, yeah? So I ended up, I had about $30,000 of stock sitting in China and I had a... um, Less than that, I think I had about five or six thousand dollars sitting in Europe and the US, yeah. and basically like the sales dropped down to pretty much zero. Uh, I tried to put the price up, and then I started getting lots of negative reviews with everyone saying, "Oh, that's far too expensive." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "So, 
yeah, I just had to bite the bullet and throw it all away. It ended up costing me like forty forty thousand dollars or something like that. Um, oh man. So, and it ended up wasting about a year of our development life. Um, <laughs> so, what came out of that is don't ever make anything to go with any Amazon products. Yeah. I don't know how anyone ever survives. Every time I see someone, like sometimes I see my competitors making things to go with Amazon products and I go, <laughs> laugh at them. <laughs> like, you don't know all the hassles that are coming your way. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Chris, I I had no idea about that. So thankfully, I don't have anything, any Amazon products. But uh, I I didn't know that. So that's a very good point. Yeah, forty five percent. It's in the way there in the, it's in the way there in the terms of service. So basically, that forty five percent plus the normal fees, it was coming out somewhere like sixty to sixty five percent fees. Um, <laughs> so it, it's crazy. You know, I selling something for twenty pounds, and they were taking like thirteen pounds. Oh. Wow, so that is really, really, really something to to look at, look to be careful for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my biggest disaster. Besides the financial financial toll it took on you, did it kind of affect you in any other way? Just it was a waste of time and money. That's all it was. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it made it made me think about like how many I order. But, it, you know, I, um, I also changed my, in late 2017, I changed the way I do my Amazon business. So I basically, I don't send anything direct to Amazon anymore. I send everything to a 3PL in either the US or the UK. And then I just ship in once a week. I have a VA now that basically goes through uh, our stock on Amazon and every week we'll just send a few cartons of every product into Amazon. In theory, it costs more money, but it actually saves you a lot of hassle and a lot of, uh, you know, I've had to employ someone pretty much to deal with it, but the amount of hassle it saves me, you've got any quality problems or anything, you know, and you've got thousands of pieces stuck in Amazon, you've got big problems. Um, So it's better you've got it all outside of Amazon and it also gives you opportunity to, to, to do other things. Um, I actually work with some Chinese um, for a couple of weeks. <laughs> they were really big Amazon sellers and it was one of the things they were doing at the time. I was like, why are you doing this? I don't understand why you're doing this. Yeah, why would you, why would you do this? And they were like, oh, you know, any reject problems, they can sort it out quick. They also told me another thing which I thought was genius, which they could they could basically bundle. So they were like, oh, a competitor comes into the market and starts undercutting them. They could take what they got in the warehouse and add in a free gift so they could be changing their listing to include some sort of bundle within like a couple of weeks yeah, to be competing against whatever their competitor did. Yeah. Um, I see that on on both sides because I had actually both things happen to me, you know, when, when you have a defect in a few cases. And, and for example, my situation, it wasn't a defect. What happened was, and you probably know this, when you're dealing with the same uh, supplier in China for a long period of time, you end up developing a certain relationship. And uh, my supplier in this case wanted to give me a gift. So the gift was, that I had bought, for example, I can't remember what the quantities were, but I had bought, say, 10 pallets of whatever product. 
and they decided to give me one for free to try of a different color. So the product that I was buying were all red and or the other way around. And they sent me one palette of white for free. But it was all tagged with the same FN SKU and it was shipped to the USA directly to Amazon. So I didn't know and I didn't receive the surprise. It went straight to the warehouse and I started getting one star reviews because the color didn't match. And at first I thought people were going crazy. And then I'm like, well, how can you be getting white? And then somebody posted a picture of the white one. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I contacted the supplier and she told me, yeah, I sent you I sent you those for free <laughs> for you. to test." <laughs> so it, what happened was immediately I had to cancel the listing, right? You pause the listing, get everything shipped to a third party fulfillment company because this was Amazon.com and I'm in Canada. So I shipped it all to the third party fulfillment. Then I have to get. Uh, new boxes because they have to open every single one because everything has the same FNSQ, right? And, you know, the, the headache and the amount of money spent sending all these units back and forth and sending them back to Amazon, uh, it can add about, you know, four or five or even more dollars per product, right? So it's going to, the margins are going to be cut in, in half. So anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's a very painful process. And the other side of the coin, what you mentioned, happened to me uh, as I was the one that was in the competition. And I guess my main competitor suddenly at the same listing started selling two of the same product almost at the same price. When, you know, the price started going down, new sellers coming in, very competitive niche and they started coming in. So anyway, main competitor did that suddenly to a pack of two for almost the same price. And of course they start outselling me and I kill that product uh, after that point. Yeah. That's, that's a good tip for people. Sometimes like on some of our products, we sell a lot of twos, you know, um, people were buying two mm-hmm. and when people buy two, you get like double fees basically. So if you can do a two pack, you can actually save quite a lot of money in the fees. Um, and we actually done some two packs and four packs because some of our products, people were buying a lot of fours as well. And we typically, all that money that we're saving, we typically give back to the customer so we can be a lot more competitive. Yeah, and that, that helps us sell. Yeah, that's important. That's an important thing to look at, actually, to analyze what you're selling. And if your people are buying lots of multiples, then cater for them. Exactly. Yeah, and if, you were, if you're selling on Amazon.ca, which is the Canadian market, you know, the pick and pack fee in the U.S. can be $3. In Canada, the, the lowest you can get is like $5.50, right? So Wow, okay. Yeah, so the same exact same product, if you do a bundle of two in Canada, a bundle of two is going to cost you the same $5.50 than just one. So you can now basically make that product $5.50 cheaper, and you're making the exact same amount of money. Uh, by selling a yeah. pack of two. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what we did in the US. So um, we did try to sell in Canada before, but our product wasn't very successful there. Um, I, I think we were doing like $1,000 a month or something like that. So in the end, I just pulled it out. Um, we also tried in Japan as well. But yeah. Again, our product, our product wasn't very successful there. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, 
Canada is not very big, and that, that's where I are, where I are, well, that's where I am. But unfortunately, uh, it's it does not represent anything near what the what you still do in the U.S. and even other markets like Germany and and stuff. So, yeah, for sure. Actually, Germany is Germany is really picking up for me. Um, it's actually on the verge of overtaking the U.K. Yeah, very good, Chris. Why don't it's you been- tell everybody listening here where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, just search Chris Davy, and normally I'm fairly close to the top there. If you if you're in lots of Amazon groups or have got Amazon related friends, I'll probably be showing up near the top there. We you can find me through FBA for you. Um, there's a page in there somewhere where you can contact me. I'm sure. Um, there's uh, actually that we've got a mini chat on there. So um, uh, if you don't know what mini chat is, that's like we've got a chat bot thing on there you know, where you can come and talk to me, and that will come to my phone. And when I'm connecting to a VPN, I'll get the message. So that's the only little problem. It's like it's not necessarily live for me. You can contact me through email, uh, chris at fbafu.com. Uh, you can find me around anyway. Just search just search me and put Amazon after my name, and I'm sure it will come up in about 20 different places. So. Very good. And then something very, very amazing that uh, you guys can check out at fbafu.com is on the top of the site, there's uh, FBA tools, and then the second bar is uh, their favorite FBA podcast. And you can see that the Q&A Seller Online podcast is in there. So thank you very much, Chris. No problem, no problem. Yeah, it's been on there for a long time, actually. Um, and these are all these are all genuinely the ones that I listen to. And I change this around, you know, if I, if I think, oh, that podcast, is, I don't listen to it so much anymore. And there's another one that's come out that I think is good, and then I'll put that on there. So because um, some of the people have been like, playing around and killing off their podcast, a bit like Manny Coates mm. one, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, Chris, thank you so, been, so much for, for being here. It's been a huge pleasure. No problem. Thank you for inviting me on. And that is a wrap for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to me and Chris on this episode. If you did find the episode useful, if you like the show, please subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe. It's going to help me. It's going to help you. And if you do want to help even more, Take it a step further, please go to iTunes, go to wherever it is that you're listening to, pull up your app and leave a review. So thank you very much for listening. Remember to start grateful, stay positive and always profit.